Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about why your corn is tipping back. In our spotlight, we'll take a look at the where the most excellent corn is growing this season. A history minute, we'll talk about the USDA. And we'll wrap things up with some cool beans, that's corny, and some current events. With me today are Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Schaumburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So here we are in the last week of the preseason <coughs> for football. Ten- tonight, in for, well, yeah, tonight, in fact, we have the Packers playing the Chiefs, which I don't know if you guys watch the news, but Sammy Watkins has said that playing with Aaron Rodgers is a whole nother level than playing with, with Patrick, Patrick Mahomes. So, not that he'll be playing with Aaron Rodgers tonight, but... He won't be playing tonight, I don't believe, will he? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I know Aaron won't, but I don't think Sammy is either. They'll sit a lot. It'll be a... What do you guys think of the format of the three games versus the four, how it used to be? Like, I Honestly, I feel like we debate it, but nobody cares about preseason anyway. So. This year was one less home game, so I guess for people that like to go to the early game with kids or something like that you miss out that way but uh, other than that i as far as actual value to the team for the season i don't think it makes a difference i went to the game last week gotta say pretty disappointed a lot of fairweather fans a lot of fairweather fans a lot of people left early well they left when it was raining as soon as it started to rain they left sad sad (laughs) sad It, it, it is a preseason game Hey. Matt, did you leave when it started raining? No. See, I was pre- I was I was mid season form. I had the shirt off, standing on the bleacher, <laughs> hollering. I was get, get gotta get tuned up, man. You so don't you, so you were the guy that got escorted out of the state? I now? did not. I didn't I was not. I did Tw- see a couple of those. Twenty six, I think. Twenty seven people bad. they said. Which isn't yeah, not twenty seven ejections in the preseason. Pre-season. Yeah, pre yeah. <laughs> it was Friday night. That made a difference. Out of what, 80,000 in there? Or what, 70, 71-ish. Yeah. 70, yeah, 71 and change. What, what was the number originally? 30-some? What? How many got ejected? 26. Oh, I, like 26 or 27, I thought. I saw something like that. That's not. That's like not even a 0.0003%. It's like that's like a normal day. In, they would have they would have had to eject more probably, but half the stadium cleared in the third quarter. Yeah, they, <laughs> just, say, yeah, they just left voluntarily to go to the bars around the. Well, it was kind of a weird rain because you didn't know if it was gonna like continue or not because it it was I was on the west side of the stadium and watched it come across the field at me. Wow! It was like oh okay yeah that's coming that's gonna... and then it was like raining just long enough. Sure. You know, the ponchos are starting to come out and, and everything, and it's like, okay, is this going like, to be the rest of the game, or is it going to be like another five minutes? And it looked really aggressive in the lights and stuff. Like, it looked like it was really yeah, raining. Sure. Yeah. And I know my grandma called me the next day to make sure I was okay. She's like, it, it poured. It just poured on TV. And I was like, well, it looked like it poured. I, don't, I wouldn't say it poured. I mean, I got wet, I guess. Yeah, it wasn't like a... A heavy, heavy rain, but it was heavier. It wasn't a light rain either. Right. It was kind of right in the middle. I'll tell you what, I was dry before I ever got back to the car. And my wife was texting me that it had earlier that it had been thundering here, so it's like, okay, are we going to get a, a delay now? Like, yeah. is there going to be actual, like, a storm? Because you look at the radar, there's nothing. 
weird. It just pop up. Yeah, it was yeah. just like a little cell that some random cloud that just decided to drop on us. Hey, players were getting a little warm. They need to cool off. That's all. <laughs> but yeah, and then it quit and didn't rain again. Preseason's still fun. I still had a good time. Well, yeah, I mean, there was. It picked up in the third and fourth quarter with the, that quarterback run. and Yeah. You and know. There is something to go to a game and not care about the in- outcome at all. Like, just go oh, have I w- fun. I like, was forcing myself to care. I was, I, well, I mean, you care about how players look. But yeah, you don't at have the end to, of the day, do you really care about the score? Like, you don't have to know. get ready if you stay ready. You know what I mean? Well, I, yeah. It's nice because right. it's coach speak. Like There's not too many games you can go to in shorts. Yep. Yeah. You're not freezing. You're not, you know, other than that little bit of rain, there really wasn't anything to complain about as far as, you know, the weather. And it actually cooled off. Like, it was really hot Friday during the day, and by kickoff, it was nice. It was a little yeah. humid right away, but yeah. then, yeah, there was at least a breeze moving through the bowl. That It would have been probably bad if there had been no air movement, but... Oh, yeah, I can imagine. I was, I was preparing myself for, like, disaster heat, like, oh, this is going to be miserable, and it was, I, I actually was very comfortable the whole time. I don't think I've ever seen the wave go that long. It was yeah. like six times around the stadium, yeah. seven. It was. Then there were some people next to us trying to restart it in like the third quarter. And I was like, guys, we did this for like 15 minutes already. Move on. Next, next thing. Come That's on. like college level. Like, no, it was, it, was, it was like, oh, okay, here it comes. You know, and you're kind of like, oh, it'll go, maybe it'll come back. You was know? it the second quarter wave? It was. Or was it first, oh, it was first quarter? Was it first quarter? Wow. It was right, right, right in the first. Right, it might have been right at the first or second quarter. To me, to me first I quarter for the waves a little early. Like that's desperation. I think it was that's first like, quarter. That's where you're like, man, this game's kind of boring. I think it might have been second. Hey, I'm gonna show my elitist here, but preseason is a lot of people at their first Packer game oh, yeah, which and is, things like that. Like, there's no doubt about it. So the the whole thing is like cheering on offense is going on. Sure. The wave comes out early, like all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you're like. Yeah, I think it was second quarter because it was, was it second quarter. Like it was eight o'clock. Is when I the video. Was. It was early. Uh, third third quarter is normal for a wave time, like. But in a preseason game, yeah, I could see not waiting that long. Well, it was kind of a stalled out drive, yeah, sure, and that yeah. helped. I think sure. yeah, drive people because. Like even I kind of lost track of what down it was in the middle of the wave because it was Man, like it's just oh pump for the wave yeah like, let's but, go like I said it was the longest day that, you know usually it goes through once maybe twice right this was like. Right. And then you like, oh, just, okay, it's going to keep going. And this actually did like, fall apart. This yeah. took like two to actually get to full strength. Like they were good ones, but it went around like twice and then it was at full strength. And then it did, I bet you it did four or five really good full strength ones. And then it did two more to taper off. I mean, yeah. it was pretty good. The The north end zone was keeping the faith. They were North yeah, end zone yeah. was, was on it. They were like, it gained steam every time it came around <laughs> to the north end zone. It was kind of like slingshotting out of the corner. Like yeah. it was... They were they were giving her the berries, which we were just on the other side of the north end zone. So it'd, I'd be watching, be like, "Oh, it ain't gonna make it all the way back to us," and then it would just, and then we'd take it. It was good. Are you that elitist, Max? Or are you just doing like one arm with the wave because you got the beer in the other hand? Uh, like yeah, I mean it depends. It? I'm not gonna lie; I don't do the whole stand up both arms very often <laughs> You're anymore. Not her the I whole, don't the full motion. He'd, he'd rather do the beer snake. Yeah. I'm big on the beer snake. Uh, I get. I don't know. Go pack go. I give her the beans for. Her. Uh, I had the go pack go going outside before we were ever in at like five thirty. Like I was, I had the go pack go. So that was um, that was good. Yeah, I'm. 
I do. It's funny that you get an elitist like mentality about, or like, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, we don't cheer right now. Like, come on. Like, I had to tell Sierra when I took her to her first game. I'm like, hey, we don't, we don't cheer like right now. This sh- sh- men at work. <laughs> you know, it's on the board, so I mean, you can yeah. just watch the well, board. Did, I've had it where Bill Jarts shushes you, which is weird. Last year it was uh, oh, Charles Woodson, I think. Was was, was the out, was the like, shusher? Yeah, yeah. because well, this year he was the intro guy. Like, okay, very beginning of the game they had Charles Woodson. Yep, <clears throat> and then they had, yeah, I they didn't remember who the other guys were that they popped up on the screen. They didn't but. break out the shush though for this no, one. They, yeah. they know I, I like preseason, pre-season just kind of like, let her fly. Why, why would you? The, even the decibel meter, which I don't know if that's actually like a legit no reading, There's but no way of anywhere. Accurate. I love right. that. There, that's definitely like just a pre-recorded like. Somebody at their computer. Like, I've been to enough you know, games like, now, and I know the exact sequence. Like, it's not. It's recorded. <laughs> it's, it is not it's accurate. A, that is great. But, yeah, they uh, they had that going. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, wasn't a fantastic game, but it was a good game. Jordan Love looked really good. Yeah, he had a good game. Like, he looked really good. I mean, he had a couple errant throws, but for a lot of it, he looked really solid and I don't know. I guess any halftime entertainment. Uh, they, they had uh, two high school quarterbacks, and the oh, quarterback from Crivets. That kid's got an arm. Yeah, yeah he, he no was re- like sixty yards in the air. No, like, no receivers, but the kids got a can. Is it where they they do that where they yeah chuck yeah. It yeah. It was him him versus uh, was it Coleman Coleman was yeah it was or no wow, it, was, Co- and Coleman. it was Coleman and Crivets. Was it the Coleman kid or the Crivets kid that the had the Crivets arm? kid had the cannon? The Coleman kids won. Yeah. Because they well, they completed like a couple of wild duck passes I, short, and the other guy like was whipping it out there, but they couldn't catch it. Dude, my favorite kid, is like you just should run out. Like basically, what they do is yeah, send out like you got two wide receivers, and then you just chuck it as far as you can. Yeah. But like some will run real routes and then try to like catch it in stride. But the good ones know you just have the guy run out as far as he can. Then chuck it up like 500 style. Listen, yeah. we don't really care if you win. We want to see a kid who's 17 years old throw his arm out. Like, that's yeah, like what we're there just for. The cannon arm of, and uh, the kid yeah. from Krivitz had a howitzer attached to his shoulder. Uh, that thing that was kid's flying. It was going 60 yards and in the air. And it was tight and spiral, too, not just yeah. like. He wasn't forcing it through the air. It was a good looking pass. So I have no idea if Krivitz's football team is any good or not this year, but they got a quarterback. I'll tell you what. That kid has got a rocket. But, yeah. And then they did the Special Olympics Wisconsin yeah, it was has flag football team. Special Olympics night. Okay. So they had two teams on each end zone playing flag football for a little while. Yeah. Okay. And then, then the kicker started coming out, or the, oh, the yeah, punter. Right. And it was like, warm ups. And- like, I know you guys are professionals, but still, like, you whale one of these kids in the head with that football. And- might make for a bad night. Yeah, because they did just kind of let them keep playing while they were kicking for right. like a long. It wasn't like oh, like they made one kick. It was like five minutes they played while they were kicking. And, and most of them were hitting like you like, know the like sideline. You, you know those kickers aren't trying to be. But there was but, one where uh, I saw the guy like running out and like kind of grabbing <laughs> sure. the ball because like, if it would have bounced, it might have bounced into their game. The the Special Olympics flag football was uh, kind of impressive. Like I forget kids play flag football so when you put adults out there like sure it's a way it's different like it you're right you you don't go watch adults play flag football no it's kids and they so all run next to each other and whatever yeah. we're like these special mix teams like they had plays and they were running sure. routes and like they were doing they were like playing football like not you don't 
you guys have kids. You know what flag football looks like yeah. that we know. It yeah. does not look like that. We played bar league flag football. Remember that? Yep. That yep. was intense. Guys with like play plays on, on their, their arms. arms. Yeah. And, like, just way too into it for like custom a, jerseys. A bar league that. This, yeah. yeah, this was supposed to be like a, a for fun like thing. And these guys were it, yeah, hardcore. Literally the I, lowest league possible that you, you know, like just for fun and yeah no those guys were the worst to play with because they acted like it was some sort of championship i subbed on a flag football team at was it sports emporium or whatever in to here here sports complex so yeah. one of those indoor sports places and they're like yeah it's not like super competitive like we don't have jerseys or anything it's just wear a white t-shirt because the team name was plain white tees because they didn't nice. want to buy jerseys so that everybody yeah really yeah. smart actually but the team we played one dude broke his finger and one dude I- tore his acl like they were like Super hard, and I was like, okay. Well. No, it's like, guys, we got to go to work tomorrow. Let's, you know, like, let's it's not get out here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of for fun, and yeah, no, and guys just get wild. Yeah, but it was in the volleyball courts, so it was like on sand. So you're playing football on sand, which that's like torn ACL yes. waiting to happen. Yeah, and I usually wasn't wearing shoes, right? And I think most teams didn't, no. but. Every once in a while, you get guys but playing right, shoes. It's like, really? Like, everybody else cleats. is out here barefoot. Yeah, cleats, no, cleats would have been terrible. Yeah. yeah, cleating it. I don't know. Would cleats work in sand that well? I don't. I would think I that think would so. suck. Actually, like you, that would really mess up your your knee or right. something. Right. Trying right. to get you'd be plant too hard and right. get the sand around it. Yeah. I took a cleat to the foot the other night, and it did not feel good. I kind of forget what that felt like. It did not feel good. Hey, dudes, not super like. <laughs> no, they would not be yeah, <laughs> at all. That was your choice of flag football attire was hey, dudes. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> There's guys wearing cleats. Yes. But yeah, yeah, cool. It's officially football season, though, isn't it? Like, are we? Yeah. Just, we're done yep. with the Brewers now. Like baseball's just done. It, well, they like, suck again. There yeah. is going to be like a weird week and a half break here now sure. because there's not a fourth preseason game. Because I think the first game, September... Yeah, there's like a full weekend off. Yeah. Labor Day weekend is off. Yeah, so it'd be like September 8th or something is the first. But college starts this weekend, week zero. Oh, that's cool, yeah. So, so it'll be that, yeah. You can watch college. There's a game in Ireland this weekend. Nebraska, like Northwestern really? in Ireland, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Football's back, baby. Either you guys going to London for the game? <laughs> no, London? no. Isn't it like impossible to get tickets for that? I would think yeah, it'd be pretty difficult. We could. It would be fun to have real like Packer fans go and show. I'm sure there will be some, but <clears throat> I'm but sure they keep a certain amount just for people there because right. otherwise, there's no point in there's no point in sending all of us over, over there. there. Yeah, but what of the. Of the tickets that stay back that are for real Packer fans, how many of those are us, and how many are the guys who sit in the boxes up the right. top? Like, right. I wouldn't imagine there's a lot of tickets saved for normal people. No, Yeah, they're not going to be cheap by any means. So that's not real. I mean, I hate to do, draw the line here, but that's not real Packer fans. We're talking... You'll have some, because there's guys who yeah. would rather pay for Packer tickets than their mortgage. So That's true. That is true. Very valid. But it won't be a lot. I mean, you got to see, you got to see the guys who are in the stadium when the Packers are seven and seven and it's snowing. Those are the guys that you want in London 
showing them what it's all about because those guys are wild. Yeah, 30 below, no shirt. Yeah, just giving her the beans. I mean, when we played the Vikings last year and it really had no consequence in what would what the outcome of the season would be. And it was zero at kickoff and it was still just nut jobs everywhere. And it was a Monday night game too. Like it was not, or was it Sunday night? It was a Monday or Sunday night. So it was like everybody had to go to work the next day. Like, yep. And you still just got guys there just giving her. All right. You guys ready to get into our topic for today? Yep. So what is corn tip back and why does it happen? Max, what do you got for us? Yeah, so this is kind of a, a current current topic, I guess. I, I I think I speak for all of us when I say we're seeing quite a bit of this, and it's a little surprising, I think, at times to some people. And also, you know, we want to understand how this happens and what we can do differently. Which you're going to find out here. There's not a whole lot we can change, but extremely frustrating. Yeah, very like, very, very frustrating because you can like, make every decision right, and you can get to now, and it can. Just, just pull back yeah. gone so like, like the word tip back i wonder where this comes from but i literally picture like if you worked as a waiter somewhere and you saw somebody lay out some of their tip like at the bar or somewhere and then taking and then it back took it back that would be the exact same feeling you get with this because it like you see the potential there and you're like are you are you that guy todd you put out like uh, a ten dollar tip to show I'm, the I'm show the waiter, and then guy, if he doesn't like, show up, then you just start pulling him back. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, you took too long to get my drink. I did it. Like um, last week, saw a guy ask for how did, and that was interesting. It was a tour, and you were supposed to tip like the tour guide, and the guy asked for change for, for the tip, tip uh, which was like a wild move. I just like oh, like man. I yeah, it was like. So, it wasn't like one of those jars and the guy's like making his own change no, out of it. it. It was like you handed to the guy the money, you know, and he's like, like ah, sorry, I only got a 20. Right. Can I, can he's I get like, like 15 back? Right. He's like, like I got a 20. And that was what the awkward conversation part of it was, is like the guy's like, well, how much you want back? You know, like right. it wasn't, you don't know. Yeah. Right. Like, was, are are you was, tipping me a dollar out of a 20 or yeah. are you tipping me five? And I was the we? person right behind that. So I just had to like. Wait as this transaction. Of course you were. Plays. Yes. No. I'm just like you wouldn't be anywhere else. Oh, like I could just feel. The you didn't. You didn't pull there. the. Uh, hey, thanks for tipping for me too, and like just <laughs> right. duck out. Like, thanks, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. This no, guy was, said he's got the tip for the rest of the yeah, bus. He's, he's like, see it. No, it was just like ah, just made your skin crawl. So yes, that is like this tip back word is is perfect because literally it's like pulling that potential that was there and you felt was yours and it is gone now. So I am going to, I'm going to read this little, this little blurb here that I wanted to make sure we, we get out there because I do think it's important. While low kernel numbers per acre and low yields do go together, it's important in a year like this to consider the overall condition of the crop and to focus on how many kernels are present before worrying about how many kernels seem to be missing. We often see some amount of tip back even in good years, and this may have no effect on yield if kernel numbers are still high. So even yesterday, you know, I'm still counting and are talking about we have more tip back than what we normally see and all that kind of stuff, and we're still counting to 190, 200 bushel corn. Well, did are we really out that much? No, probably not. I mean, we took a 220 and made it a 200. Well, if we're going to scoff at 200 bushels probably need to reassess our priorities a little bit too so yeah you know when you get to the actual tip going all the way isn't necessarily good either no because you waste the end your weight yeah your then your population should have been higher right so 
a little so, bit of tip back is good. Right. You know, yeah, like when we're that, talking tip back, then you, yeah. then you did have your full potential in that sort of field of corn in the cob corn. So that is a great point, Max, too. And there's some varieties that naturally have more tip back than others. So those are always hard, too. I like, want to throw them under the bus. BMR. Yeah. yeah. But, and you talk to, like, that has, for, for us, this is frustrating, but I can't imagine for, like, corn seed salesmen, this has to be just the worst where you're getting calls for, like, like yeah, where guys are saying, oh, it's all tip back. Like, this is horrible. And, and then you're saying, like, yes, but it set itself up for that potential. It didn't hit it, but at least it was setting itself up for that high of potential. It just, stuff wasn't there for it to finish out. So, yeah, it's... It, no, and nobody's going to feel good about finding tip back. The one thing you can say is when you look at a cob and you're like, man, that really looks like it dropped a lot and you count it and it still is decent. You know, you, you pulled some of the right levers this year, right? Right. You should feel, you should feel a little good about that. And you can still take this and say, Hey, you know, we did this and it seemed like it set us up for success. It just, we didn't get the weather to follow. So one of the big differences that I want to make sure we cover is that there's a difference between poor pollination and tip back. Um, generally when we talk about poor pollination, it's like sporadic kernels missing and it's not like a super even pattern other like even a zippered poor pollination is still like not even it's a zipper. And then tip back is literally all the way around the cob working from the tip down. Top down. Yes. Yeah. So, so from make the sure tip we, back. Yes. Tip back. Yeah. See, that's why we get the name tip back. You were you were trying to make this other like no, analogy I, I, for why I, we call it tip back. It's literally because it works from the tip back. And, and what's hard is you see these cobs and you'll pull them. And I swear to you, like when you pull them randomly, you have no idea. Even trying to feel that tip, you can maybe feel it, but they always look just as good as say the neighbor cob that didn't tip back. Hey, if, and you got to pull it like pull it and then you'll yeah you'll just see if you have more than one consultant on your farm you're going to find out which ones walk and which ones don't because if you don't walk you're not going to know this because it's from the outside man stuff looks it does look good that that's you're 100 with the problem with this year's like even on the crop tour that's going on right now the big word is like from the road it looks great yeah and that's how all the corn looks like like hard to judge from drive-by right from the road, it does look great, and then you pull cobs back, and you start to see, okay, maybe this wasn't as great, you know. Yeah, even you know, even yesterday, I'm still walking in stuff. I'm like, man, it looks so good. I just keep thinking, oh, I'll get to this other part of the field, and the, it won't be tip back. It just it's this area, and it doesn't. There's, <laughs> you know, it's pretty widespread, and it's not Ottawa County. It's not Wisconsin. It sounds like it sounds like it's, it's everywhere. The whole yes, corn belt. It's, it's Midwest. It's corn belt. It's Oh, yes. So well, the, there's like a couple things that we talk about. Um, th- there's three, I think there's three major factors or three major things that we can kind of blame this tip back on. And there's one that I think is far and above everything else. But the three that we talk about most often are nitrogen shortage, um, lack of rain or lack of moisture, and then extreme heat day or night. Um, and those are two different things. Extreme heat during the day and extreme heat at night are not the same number. Um, but we'll start with nitrogen, um, <clears throat> right now, like, you know, I don't, I, it's, it's weather related like this year with across the board, but this other years that you do see this happen. Um, so with nitrogen, you can start right away. You did the math, you know, how much you put on, did you go right at what it should be? Did you go a little extra? Did you short it a little bit? 
you can you can do the math and you should know kind of where you're at um how was your application timing you know did you put on all your units really early did we lose some you know so hey we put on what we should but i put it all on before planting like yeah that can kind of bite us here it can not always but it can and then the 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 other thing you can consider is do you see indicators of nitrogen shortage are you firing leaves are you fired all the way up to the cob right now because at this point if you're losing yield because you don't have enough nitrogen it should be fired all the way to the cob right or uh, yeah most of the time you see that one coming yeah this one is tricky because it can correlate with moisture stress and drought stress you'll have that firing so it's a little tricky but max is right like if you're losing say two or three leaves at the bottom on fully grown you know corn not the end of the world, but to the ear leaf, that's a big deal. Especially I've taken tissue samples where we take like ear leaf and then um, I had like another a farmer I work with had this great idea. He said, take ear leaf and then take, you know, two leaves down and see what you get where you kind of see some firing. And yeah, ear leaf was perfectly fine in nitrogen, a couple leaves down. So obviously it's moving that nitrogen up the plant to the cob where it needs it. So not always good. You know, you're kind of on that fine line of enough or not. And, but like you say, Max, it is that tricky part of th- this year, too. Nitrogen was expensive. So we treated it we like stretched. it was expensive. Yeah. We, we stretched. We'll put because, it, we're going right, to put it nicely. Because, we stretched. Because it was, it was double the price of normal, triple than last <clears> year. Like, so, of course, you're not going to like spend the same amount. So that's one tricky one this year. I see like we, we made sure, like, okay, we're going to utilize as good as we can, try to do certain Y drop timings, and, all that stuff. And you're going to have leaves fire at this point. Like, we are going to start losing that very bottom leaf. That's not even, I don't even, it's not even a true leaf. You're going to lose that at this point in the year. So you can't just look at that and go, oh, nitrogen, right? Right. You have to really dig into it a little bit. And if you're not, like you say, if you're not seeing it fired all the way to the cob, it it's probably not a nitrogen problem at this point. The next one, moisture we talked about. This one's super self-explanatory, or I thought it was, until Todd brought something up this morning Well, before we started recording. We have this like thought that, oh, we got four inches of rain that one time. Right. And it within five days, it was dry again. Like dry, cracked the whole kit and caboodle. So, okay, yeah, our total for the last 30 days is probably okay. But we're not. It's been dry. It it has hurt the crop being dry. Right. There's no doubt about it. Like it, it's been too dry. So Especially this year where we, I think on both temperature and moisture, we were peaks and valleys and it was it's feast or famine, I, there was man. times like especially right at pollination we were dry yeah and then we got hammered which was great and saved a ton of yield out there but then all of a sudden like you say it got hot again and within a week it was kind of dry again and it was like well okay we're and obviously depending on moisture holding capacity some people's fields it was way different but yeah you can't you can't always just the feel of this year was like oh it was good but when you actually look at the numbers of this year, it was like, yeah, if I were a corn plant living in that, it wouldn't have been great. Well, and, and getting six inches of rain in, in 24 hours, how, how much that directly just is straight it's off just, the field, it's, it's gone. Like, when we talk about timely rain, it'd be, yes. yeah, we're not looking at that the timing necessarily was always right, but also amount and how fast. Yeah. You know, we've had some slow soaker rains, and we've had some fast runoff rains. Yeah. Yeah. And the fast runoff ones, yeah, are not the ones that you want to count on when it comes to grain fill. What blows me away is um, we'll use moisture probes like in irrigated fields to kind of see what it's 
where it's at and if we need to irrigate more or less. And all year, what you'd think the probe would tell because you're like, oh, it rained like four days ago. We should be good. And then the probes tell me 0%. Like, it's not there. It was just wild. Yeah. It was Put some water it, on now. I, right. It was just felt weird all year with that. So that was... Yep. And, and corn uptakes a lot of rain at certain times. So, you know, a lot of moisture at grain fill. Well, some of that, that big rain did come when the heavy uptake was. But I think part of it was it, it took it all up. Like, it literally just... You know, not only did some run off, but that plant just literally, like, I, there was times where I broke the stalk off then, and it was like a sponge in there. Like, it was just, it was that dry, too, where that plant's like, I got to pull all this in right now because I don't know when it's going to rain next. And uh, the only upside, too, this year was even without rain, we did have a couple times with some pretty heavy dews that at least yeah. were holding things on. Like, that's yeah. not going to get you, you know, you're not going to gain ground, but at least you're not losing ground right. in those situations. And, and I, I will also say that there's, oh, I could say this thought we go to temperatures. Let's talk All about right. temperatures first. All right, so then the last thing we, we look at is is temperatures. So extreme daytime, temp, daytime temps. So, you know, 90 degrees, everybody's like, oh, corn loves heat. Not really when it's trying to make grain, Okay. You got to turn turn the thermostat down a little bit, right? That that early season expectation that we have goes goes away. So we we really don't want to see it above. Personally, I don't want to see it above eighty three, but that's kind of my my number that I Where like. Where did you pull that number? I just eighty three. It seems like when it gets much past eighty three, for some Is reason, that your it just comfort seems, level. And you think it's part corn. of part of it's my comfort <laughs> level, but to me, that seems like when stress starts to creep up a little bit on corn. Um, if it's dry and it's eighty, you don't tend to not see it. If it's dry and it's eighty three. 84 85 you start to see that that drought a little bit a little bit more drastically that's just my my thoughts but um and then at night we really need to be getting down below 70 degrees at night and not just like down below for an hour and then back up we need to be down below 70 for six eight hours at night um through pollination then that first couple weeks after and if you want to know where we lost where we see this tip back is right here, this 70 degrees at night. We did not do a very good job getting below 70. Um, and we were we were hitting 69 for an hour. Like, that's what we were... When we were getting below 70, that's what it was. So, I know last week now it got cool at night again. Uh, it was a day late and a dollar short for the most part. I mean, it... Right, it depends on your when you were hitting pollination. I mean, if yeah. you're late pollinating, you're probably in better shape as far as that goes for decent weather during pollination, but... You were also planted late that you probably still gave up something. So it seemed like the temperatures for actually pollinating were good. Yes. Like we worry about that for like pollination. Like if, you know, you don't want consecutive temps over 90s because it'll actually kill the pollen. Yeah. That wasn't the problem this year. It was literally just that for the plant to respire properly. Right. It's got to have that break at night. Right. It's sort of like didn't have the proper breaks it needed and so all of a sudden it 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 didn't respire it didn't kind of get rid of all that heat it built up during the day too at night it needs that so and then moisture kind of goes hand in hand with that like if if it's dry and hot even for a couple days it's gonna at the wrong time it's gonna hurt us like that so so yeah so my my point I was going to make before, and I said I'm just going to wait till we talk about temperatures. And Matt, you kind of touched on it there about you know the later pollination might be in better shape. I I'm seeing in fields plants. You know, you take 
10 plants in a row and you open them and say it, it was three days from the very first plant to the very last plant and that 10 to emerge and be fully out of the ground that three days you can still see it now it yeah you know it had th- two cooler nights than the next one because it was a l- that couple days later and you can see it man it and not necessarily better or worse but you can tell exactly which plants kind of like where the delay was because it it's different I and mean, it doesn't take much and it's different so there's a ton of stuff there's a ton of stuff that goes into this but it's we're talking like 12 hours 24 hours can be a huge difference in how how much tip back you really had um it doesn't take it's not like we need two weeks of terrible weather i mean right. it's, it can be a couple a couple days even like i said i think it's down to 24 hours you can 24 hours can make a huge difference so don't look at this and be like what are you talking about it was, it was like it was hot for like two days yeah that was that's plenty to do damage so um I think that's a pretty common one I've been getting. Like, what do you mean? It hasn't been that hot. Like, I, yeah, I think there's when you have heat and you're like, oh, corn likes heat. You just think, oh, it's been a hot summer, so corn should be good. And that's not necessarily always the case. And even if you've been getting rain, like on average, the rainfall total might look like maybe close to what you wanted. But when you're getting four or six inches of rain in a crack and most of it's running off, you can't really account for that moisture, so you take take those four and six inch rains and make them one, yeah, or yeah. two. That's that's probably more accurate of what what you actually is utilized. This time of year, I always try to. We work with a lot of dairy farms. Always try to ask them how their cows are doing. And one of the ways I ask that is then it's the heat stress of the cows. Like so, for the crop farmers out there, like cows don't like it that hot at night either and they got a big old rumen on them that's fermenting and yeah imagine just going to eat a big old meal at thanksgiving and then having to sit in like a heat there's a reason thanksgiving's in the fall is because it's cool not, that's not the reason <laughs> but it, that's an awesome you know like it is in the fall because it's cooler and after you eat a bunch you can cool off yeah usually like, being hot and right eating a lot doesn't go no, together no it's not great so cows tend to drop in milk so i was asking like how the cows doing you know like are they making it through this heat okay and that's always like a very good indicator of what corn will do. But what's tricky is the current dairyman in the last five years has done a lot for heat abatement on dairy cows. And I swear to you that I can't even use that as an indicator anymore. Like, well, like you, 10 you, years ago, it could, like now, like guys have so many more fans, yeah, sprinklers, sprinklers, just yep. like everything to keep that cow comfortable. Barns are built yes, to, be more to be more comfortable. Cool, yeah. Like, we don't have that for a corn plant right now. Like the corn plant does not have heat abatement or, you know, like irrigation can kind of do some stuff, but not like we've done for dairy cows. So I, I swear to you that like 15, 20 years ago, that was like the perfect indicator for how corn is going to do. If it was like, yeah, maybe it did get a little too hot for corn because cows dropped a whole lot and, you know, just you could watch that heat abatement thing and, but I, I'm, I don't know what you guys think, but I don't think that works at all anymore. I, if you get an older barn, maybe. Right. <laughs> and even, I, even now, I would say, like, you know, we talk about dropping a pound in milk, probably on I, some of these new barns. Like, yeah. they maybe lose a pound. That would be what you saw 15 years ago was, was like, disaster. Oh, they, yeah. Like, they they're were like, oh, yeah, we went down a pound. Yeah. Like, ugh. You know what I right. mean? Like, no, you're right, Max. It, well, it used to be like 10 plus pounds. See, and now see but like now when you ask and they went on a pound, they don't think of that as like a thing to tell you. Oh, we went on a pound. Yeah, right. They're like, no, nah, we're pretty much, you know, 
Because a pound here and there, like when you're right. talking about milking 3,000 cows, it, yeah. No, it's a big deal, but... But it's you're a gonna huge lo- deal, but you you're don't... You're going to lose a pound just by changing from first crop to second crop. Right, hitting a certain patch yeah. of your feed, yeah. Right, so it's just... The, I, f- the new feeder that one day mixed the feed <laughs> 20, you know, 10% different or whatever, right. so... Right. All right, so there you go. There's some causes of tip back, as you may see that in your crop this year, and for the most part, it's not something we have a lot of control over, so keep that in mind when you're looking at your final yields this season. Now we'll move into our spotlight for today. So where is the most excellent corn in the country this growing season? Uh, As you may or may not be aware, they have a rating system. We've talked about a little bit on the podcast before of, you know, good, excellent, poor, fair uh, corn and... So where does USDA see excellent corn across the 18, top 18 growing states? Just 7% of the country's corn is in excellent shape. Illinois, Iowa, Michigan, Pennsylvania, North Dakota, Ohio, Indiana, and Missouri have higher rates of excellent corn than other states. And uh, Illinois is reporting at 21% of its corn excellent condition. So depending on where where you are, even in that state, I think it matters. But I drove through the whole state last week, like St. Louis to Wisconsin, and it looks awesome. Like it yeah, is no, there's like, a lot of good-looking corn. Un- I mean, and like think how much corn's grown in Illinois, and it is like it's it was awesome the whole way. Now, granted, I didn't walk in every field and pull cobs back, this like we just talked about, but. This is why this article it, is funny because it, we it, talked about this right. tip back thing is a is a countrywide thing right now. And yeah. if you watch the corn markets all this week, you know somebody got in a field in Illinois this right. week because no, they jumped pretty from, good the last couple of days. From the road, it looks awesome. But I could imagine that like looking at it to it, it it <clears throat> this corn also saw some shit, saw some stuff. Like it was, no, uh, I, yeah. I was down there about three it, weeks it, ago, and yeah, it was even. This corn drinks butt heavy. It's been through some things. <laughs> yes. If yeah. you're in Illinois and under irrigation, you're probably I, in pretty good shape. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, no, I thought it was. I thought it was interesting because I just read yesterday that like they're finding all this tip back, and then I, in the I states especially, and now I'm reading that Illinois has 21 percent of its corn is in excellent condition, but. What is that from normal? Is it normally 30? Is it normally 50? Oh, right. It doesn't say oh, in here, but... Illinois is normally awesome, too. So, like, this... Yeah, right. This I mean, they're in... they're flat. They have pretty good ground, large fields. I mean, there's a reason they grow a lot of corn and soybeans down there. Yeah. Yep. So... All right. Now we'll move into our Ag History Minute. Maybe. Todd takes a week off. He's no, getting a little I, slow on the button. I, uh... I was getting another thing prepped. I was getting our regatorn prepped, ah. and then I uh, pulled back. I like the banjo, you, too. You, you tip back? Yep. All right. <clears throat> All right. Now for our Ag History Minute. Talking about the USDA. So USDA itself was established by Abraham Lincoln in 1862. Call it the People's Department, and its first crop report appeared in July 1863. NAS traces its roots all the way back to 1863 as well when the USDA established a division of statistics. During the Civil War, USDA collected and distributed crop and livestock statistics to help farm 
<clears throat> assess the value of the goods they produced. At that time, commodity buyers usually had more current and detailed market information than farmers, a circumstance that often prevented farmers from getting a fair price for their goods. Producers in today's market would be similarly handicapped if it weren't for the information provided by NAS. The creation of USDA's Crop Reporting Board in 1905, now called the Ag Statistics Board, was another landmark in the development of Nationwide Statistical Service for Agriculture. A USDA reorganization in 1961 led to the creation of the Statistical Reporting Service, known today as the National Agricultural Statistics Service, or NAS, of which the Agricultural Statistics Board is a part. I didn't know Abe Lincoln started that. That's your. This did, is your. Did you say Abe Lincoln? Abe Lincoln. This is your. This is your crop crop progress report. Your crop tours, all that kind of stuff, is kind of run through this. Well, considering it started in 1863, Lincoln wasn't around for much of it. True. True. <laughs> Maybe uh, Wilkes Booth was a corn trader and was upset. He lost his yes. lost his butt on some uh, some corn. Acting was just a side gig. He had to become an actor yes. to make up the money he lost in the uh, in the corn in trade. The corn trade. That, yeah, that's impressive. That's cool. Good. Thank you, Matt, and thank you to our listeners listeners out there. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend. If he asks what is a podcast, you tell him you can get it on your iPhone. Go to Apple Podcasts or on Android. We like Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM are all good apps on your. Android phone. You just need to search Tilth Talk Radio. You can also listen on your computer or smartphone browser. Go to tilthag.com slash podcast. We're also available on Amazon Music, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. All right. Now we'll wrap things up with some cool beans. That's corny and some current events. So cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Our cool beans this week. Chaff lining shows major resistant weed control promise in Iowa field trials. So you might be saying, what is chaff lining? Well, basically they've developed a nice little funnel to put on the back of your combine that will put all the chaff in a line, hence the chaff lining. And they found that that can reduce the effectiveness of uh, 95% of water hemp seed deposited in those lines so it's a very simple low-cost system for testing spent roughly seven thousand dollars including shipping to order a chaff lining kit from australia and i think we talked about that um not only lining but also burning it was another method they used to reduce water hemp efficacy uh, it's extremely low cost when you consider a seed mill for crushing seed might cost seventy thousand or more so it's something you could add to your system for a fairly reasonable cost and so far their data is showing that it is having a pretty big impact on soybean chaff and water hemp seeds so it should just concentrate the water hemp seeds in lines that's why it's lining not not it doesn't have like a liner it's put it in a line so that, that you don't have it widespread across the field you only have to kill it in strips well and i think the seeds too sit in the chaff so you could they're not making as good oh, seed soil sure. contact. You know, sure. you're not getting them worked in. I don't know. I was looking to see. I don't remember seeing anything about them removing the chaff. But I suppose you could. It says, once seed 
weed seed is within the moisture of the chaff lines. Uh, you can expect natural death and fungal decay of the seed. Okay. I'm sure even more animals would eat them or... Yep. Okay. It's an environment where you enhance predation and microbial decay on weed seed. You know what? Like, first bluff, I'm like, there's no way that would work. Like, that, you just have these strips of really bad water hemp then, but... But I think that's I, why I, they, were, they were burning them, too, was the idea you'd have this narrow line, then you just burn it, burn it, and that would burn up the seed. So, yeah, I mean, between... It's a, it's a two-fold attack. Right. Yeah. You wonder, like, your, like, fertility and all what would change, you know, like, all the good organic matter in that chaff then. Right. But it still these, spreads like, the straw. Yeah. Like, true. It's just, to me, it would seem that it would... Yeah, you're right, Max. So you'd have... A, there, there'd still be enough in the chaff, though, I think it would mess with it a little bit but in our war against water hemp but how much different do you treat guys who have a widespread versus a narrow spread pattern on their combine and you work with both and like yeah right how much You're right. crazy it's, difference do you really see um more than we think but it's but, still, but it, it's I not don't like think you it's not going to be the end of the world right it's stuff we can and i think find. this is something that you depending on how you used it if you had a really bad problem right and this was really going to help you'd do it for a few years and then you'd probably go back to herbicide management and maybe take it yeah, off right and again for seven grand including shipping it's pretty reasonable method of of managing if it really works compared to spending 70 grand on a crusher to put on the back of the combine or multiple passes of herbicide year in year out So, yeah, yeah, cool. I thought it was timely considering our episode last week. Yeah, yeah. timely. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> then our that's corny for this week. Despite the stricter rules, thousands of complaints for dicamba damage still coming to the EPA. Which big surprise, guys weren't following the rules before you made them more strict, and now they're still not. Uh, so yeah, a week before the 2020 presidential election, EPA issued new instructions on the use of dicamba that said would tame the notoriously volatile weed killer, but complaints of damaged crops in nearby fields and plants in parks, wildlife refuges, and residents continue to roll in, according to EPA, in their review of the herbicide. Yeah, not, not shocking, I guess. Really disappointing, but not shocking. I would... And our use of it's gone way down or just changed... Yeah, I was but saying, I would say like here, this has been a hard. Like here, we haven't had a problem with it, and I don't want to make light of people that have had a lot of problems. But yeah, I just think it's an interest. It's there's areas, yeah, that this is not a good tool. But I still think it could be a good tool for us used properly. And I, I have no statistical basis or any um, real data to back this up. But I have wondered if this, if we would actually have more issues. Now that we're switching away from Correct. extend beans, because we still spray dicamba in corn all the time, well, and that was one nice thing with extend beans was you protected your beans against your neighbor spraying his cornfield. Corn. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're so, right. So I'm curious, yeah, to see how that would play out. I've, I've actually heard from uh, a rep, that uh, chemical rep, that the reason we have less problems is because we've been spraying dicamba on corn up here for for, for a long time forever. and. Down so that's just not a thing. They right, they do, weren't used to it. Yeah, so it's a whole new chemical down there. Yeah, in 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 a lot of ways. So, 
We've been spraying status for I don't know how long, a long time. Well, b- before well, even Banville, it was Banville. Yeah, man. it's been around I mean, for I a long time. Like when I, yeah, it's a long time. So right, and down there they're like, oh, extend. What's this extend stuff? Like, let's yeah. you know, it's a different kind of a different animal for them. So I think that's part of it. You don't, and I don't. We don't have the the complaint. You know, we don't have a map in front of us. But if I had to guess, there's very few in Wisconsin, and there's plenty in Missouri, Georgia, yeah. all those same. <laughs> Well, you know what they say about Missouri. Missouri loves company. Yeah. They do say that. All right. And with that. <laughs> Thanks for like that. That'll do it for today. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. Uh, so this week we talked about corn tip back, where does it come from, and why you might be seeing it out in your field this year. In our spotlight, we looked at where excellent corn was this growing season in what states. Ag History Minute. We talked about the formation of the USDA and the NAS, or National Agricultural Statistics Service. Cool beans was chaff lining showing promise for controlling resistant weed populations. And that's corny, was the stricter rules have not done much to lessen complaints about dicamba. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming. <laughs>